It is a physiological fact. Skeptical eyebrows, activate. That during exercise, sustained attempts at high intensity training does little in the way of stimulating further growth. So this is just what I would like to call categorically false. Hey folks, Dr. Mike here for Renaissance Periodization. I'm a professor of sports science and a competitive grappler and bodybuilder. And well, Scott, the video guy, and I did kind of a bad thing. We broke into grandma's attic, rummaging through her stuff. But good news, we found some old Mike Menser VHS, I think, tapes that have all the secrets of high-intensity training now brought to you live, sort of. Uh, let's take a look at them and see what we can find. All right. A look at high-intensity training. Cool. The revolutionary concept of high-intensity training has been recognized as the ultimate method for increasing muscular size and strength. Okie dokie. Propaganda 101 has been recognized as the ultimate method. By who? There were zero governing bodies of any sports medicine associations or training colleges at the time that recognized it as the ultimate method, and the number continues to stand at zero in perpetuity. So uh, this, you can almost certainly say, is factually incorrect. Proper understanding of high-intensity training will provide you with the knowledge required to ensure optimal results from your efforts. Optimal. High-intensity training is uh, best for everyone. In every case, it's not just an effective method that you can try, like the RPI Hypertrophy app. It's optimal and proper and all the good things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Mike Menser is so inordinately popular even today, posthumously, is because he had this aura of, there's all this bullshit out there. And there is ideas about how to train. So much fucking noise. He was like, you, skinny kid in the back, Harry Potter, look him up. Look up. And you're like, yes, I got the answer for you. And it's two things, insanely simple and brutally difficult. What do you say? They're like, what? That sounds like it matches my male pseudo right-wing proclivities quite well, sir. Uh, sure does, kid. Here's hit. Go be an adherent of it and get in our comments section and fight other people about it. I ain't lying. When formulating a high-intensity training program, the first thing to do is arrange the exercises in their proper sequence. It is a physiological fact Skeptical eyebrows, activate. That during exercise, the larger muscles of the body demand more energy than the smaller ones. That's true. It is advantageous, therefore, to work the largest muscles first. False. You work the muscles first that are two things. One, your highest priority muscles that you want to get the biggest and strongest because they are the freshest at the beginning of exercise. And two, muscles that are not limiting factors for other muscles that if they become tired, the other muscles later are really, really difficult to train. For example, if you wanted to train your ability to deadlift and train your grip, you probably don't want to do grip first and then deadlift because your tired grip will severely deteriorate the quality of the deadlifting, but you could do it in reverse. However, if you're training something like biceps and back, it's not true to say that back has to go first just because it's the biggest muscle. It may be very well that your biceps are absolutely your primary priority and back is secondary. If that's really the case, yes, you should probably train your biceps early, if not first in your plan, and you can use movements for the back, like lat prayers and some variations of pulldowns that don't tax your biceps as heavily and can still be effective for you after you train your biceps. So the idea that larger muscles should be trained before smaller muscles is not a categorically true statement. From there, you can proceed to work 
the other major muscle groups of the body in descending order from the largest to the smallest. Yeah, it violates the idea of what you're prioritizing. So if you wanted really big delts and you didn't really care about your glutes, and you could train your glutes much after you train your delts, but that would be in violation of what Mr. Mike Menser is saying here. So you would be wrong. Actually, wouldn't be wrong. He would be wrong. It is absolutely essential to warm up properly before engaging in any intense physical exercise. Static stretching before working out reduces your strength and power output levels. And thus, unless you're doing it because you have some kind of chronic injury, then unless you stretch it out, it goes very poorly, sort of like foam rolling. It's probably not a good idea to do it. They didn't know this at the time. There was no literature on this. So this isn't like Mike Menzer's an idiot or some shit. It's just an honest mistake. But another good thing about if you overinvest into an ideology that's quite old, right now we're seeing a resurgence of high-intensity training and, and Mike Menzer fanboying. And look, Mike Menzer's a dope motherfucker, man. There's plenty of shit to fanboy him about. But you got to understand, the shit is sort of outdated. And that means a lot of the shit he said was so super dope and super true. But a lot of the shit he said was just fucking wrong. And this is one of these things. Although, you know what I'm saying? If I'm training with a woman that flexible, I'm trying to get her to do as many stretches in front of me as possible. Uh, don't tell my parole officer. This acts as a safeguard against possible injury. What the fuck is up with her outfit, Scott? Them, them ain't bare titties, are they? No, but it's like flesh. Yeah, the nipple's flesh-colored because it's made of flesh. Damn, dude, the 80s. Yo, coke me up. Then move immediately to the workout so as not to lose the benefits of the warm-up. Also true. If you warm up and you go take a drink and you go to the bathroom, you start taking selfies of your dick. I always do this. You start talking to boys in the bathroom. After a while, they're looking through your phone on your selfies. Like, that one's good. Don't send her that one because it looks small. Thanks, fellas. You high-five each other, look at each other's cocks. 30 minutes later, I'm back to the workout. And I was like, do I need to warm up again? Emotionally, I'm very warm for being in a men's bathroom for a long time. Physically, I could do another warm-up. If you guys are liking this, we have an extended edition with tons of raw, uncut footage of who knows what. That's in our member section. Give it a look. To ensure that the entire muscle is worked, it is important that you perform all of the exercises through a full range of motion. This is generally very good advice. I will say that recent research, quite a bit of it actually, has illustrated that maybe the full range of motion isn't the best best, but whatever range of motion you do, the deep, super big stretch has to be a critical component to maximize your hypertrophy outcomes. So you don't have to train with a full ROM, but whatever part of the range of motion you cut out should not be that deep stretch. And we see people in the real gym, squats, benches, push-ups, which part they cut out? That deepest stretch to the muscle part, that's the one you don't want to cut out. So for the 80s, Training with a full range of motion was very, very good advice, and I would say quite apt. You must move from a fully extended position to a fully contracted position. Mike's got great technique, man. This is really good technique. It's good for people to train like this. It really is. He, he, he almost always had really good technique because of that meticulous mindset he brought in. Like He was such a precision-oriented person that if you were like, yeah, just kind of move the weight around, he'd be like, what? So he had to make these ideas up about full range of motion, very good technique, and many of them paid off. Once the fully contracted position is reached, pause momentarily before lowering. Yeah, you don't have to pause momentarily. It's probably just mostly a waste of effort. So I'd say in most cases, you just get up to the fully contracted position and reverse direction under control back down to the fully stretched position. But this isn't terrible advice, just trying to give you guys a bit more insight on what modern sports science has to say on the matter. Progressive overload is the cornerstone of an effective weight training program. Add more weight, do more repetitions. This is how you continue to improve. 
accurate, very good stuff. One of the best things about high-intensity training philosophy is they try to get objective and they try to send landmarks and they try to kind of aim for higher and higher and higher in slow incremental steps. A lot of folks that trained before and many folks that still train today, Sam look, <laughs> they'll go in the gym and just do stuff and they'll train hard and that is 90% of the fun and the effect, but there is a meticulousness that comes from tracking and setting little pro progress goals. It feels very good because you know you're on track and also you're making sure to challenge yourself appropriately, to really push yourself. It's only if you challenge yourself appropriately, regularly, do you know when fatigue is high enough for you to need to back off. If you just don't feel like lifting, you have to ask yourself the question, am I just being a little bitch? Or am I really overreached? You never can tell unless you have an objective performance goal. Last week, I benched 225 for 14 reps. If I can get it for 15 this week, I'm definitely coming back to train next week because I'm still up. If I did 14 last week, but I got 13 this week and I'm cooked, yeah, maybe next week's gonna be a deload. So the high intensity training mindset of writing everything down, following the logbook, which you could do with the RP Hypertrophy app, the most advanced logbook in the world. What do you get when PhD sports scientists collaborate with pro bodybuilders? The most effective muscle growth training app ever made. Get yours now. But anyway, um, just whether you use the RP app or use this, you know, just actually a notepad on your phone, it's really good to keep track of stuff and make a little goal, all five pounds on the bar here one rep here, and you slowly walk your way towards gains, it clarifies the subject considerably. People kept track and logbooked their training for generations before high intensity training took hold in the 80s, but they made it the most popular and explained it the best. And for that reason, even though you'll see many videos of me talking that shit about Mike Menser and Hit, because I got a lot to say that's crit critique worthy, I'm still, and we are still eternally indebted to this philosophy for trying to make some goddamn sense out of the lifting world instead of settling for Joe the bouncer from New Jersey. He's like, I don't know what thinking. It. Just go in there and lift hard. Wait, just boom, boom, boom. Hey, thanks, buddy. Good advice. Recommended is the following method of progressively overloading the muscles. Hey, Scott, how much meth do you think he's on in this video? This uh, pose is pretty damning. <laughs> pretty damning. Guys, again, not to be derisive, but Mike Benser was known for being addicted to methamphetamine. You know, I'm addicted to a few things myself. I was going to say all kinds of things that would get me banned on YouTube. All right, very well. You can feel free in the comments to let me know what I'm addicted to. It's probably true. First, choose a weight for each exercise, which barely allows the performance of eight repetitions in perfectly strict form. This is very good advice. As with much in HIT, it's too specific. Almost everything that HIT philosophy says is true. But what they say, it's this is true. And this and this and this and this above, beyond, to the left, to the right is all false. This is true. The reality is that most of HIT is right on the money. But there's a very large circle around it of also true things. Some of them even better than HIT. Uh, so is it true that eight repetitions is a very good place to start a resistance training program? Yeah, hell yeah, it checks all the boxes. Is that necessarily the case that it's the optimal or the best or the only? No, not even close. And we have really good idea now that challenging yourself with anything between five and 30 repetitions seems to have a roughly equivalent effect on muscular hypertrophy, muscle growth. So eight is definitely between five and 30, but there's a lot of options there and you can feel free to be much more creative than just eight reps. When you have progressed to the point of being able to perform 12 repetitions, 
Add about 10% more weight to the bar or stack. Your goal again being a progressive increase of intensity and workload placed on the muscle. So this is an interesting progression where they start at eight reps, they go up uh, adding repetitions until 12 reps, and then they put 10 more percent of the weight on, get you back to about eight, and then you restart. That's cool. There's a couple other ways to do it. One of them is you start at whatever, let's say eight reps, it doesn't have to be eight, and then you actually put two and a half or five pounds more on the bar each time and try to match the repetitions. So it's eight, and then eight, and then eight, and then eight, but each time it's a little bit more weight little bit more weight, little bit more weight. So at the end of that process, you're still doing sets of eight, but you're using the 55 pound dumbbells instead of the 60s. A lot of times loading can give you smaller increments of progress than reps. For example, let's say you're squatting 405 pounds for a set of six. I mean, that's to the limit, basically failure. If you're well-trained, it's going to take you a long time to add a whole new rep if 405 for six is hard for you and you're pretty advanced in the squat, you might train weeks, if not longer, until you successfully lift 405 for seven and weeks, if not months, until you hit 405 for eight and then 405 for 10, that may not happen to you for years, if, if, if sometimes, if ever. But the jumps are so large. One extra rep, when you're typically doing six reps of 405, is so much more physical work. And the degree of difficulty in relative terms is huge. One seventh is like about 14 or some shit, 14%. If you go from 405 for six to 405 for seven, you're essentially increasing the difficulty by 14%, just going up one increment, one rep. If you use load, you can put two and a half Get, let's go up higher. Five pounds on the bar from 405 for six to 410 for six. It's a much smaller, much more realistic increment. And you don't have to go weeks and weeks in the gym going four or five for six, four or five for six, four or five for six, four or five for five. I got fatigue deload. Four or five for six, finally four or five for seven. It's actually a lot of monotony because you can't just add a rep to shit, especially in the low rep ranges all the time, unless you're just starting out or you're really just changed exercises early. But adding load, especially on small margins, two and a half pounds, five pounds, is much more realistic. Adding reps is totally cool if you can do it. And sometimes like with dumbbells, you go from 15 reps to 16 to 17, 18, 20, that is small margins. But especially for lower reps, especially if you're advanced, adding load can give you the small margins, which you can actually successfully get stronger at that pace. And thus you can make these small gains versus having to do the same shit over and over again. As your body adapts to increasing levels of training intensity and stress, higher levels of intensity will be required to further stimulate muscular growth. Accurate. The tendency will be a desire to do more. This, however, is neither desirable nor possible. Oh boy, here comes the low volume bullshit. Your muscles get used to a certain amount of stimulus. There's a desire to do more to get better results. It's actually true. Beginners can grow in very low volumes, that for intermediates cause only stagnation. Intermediates can grow on volumes, which for the advanced, in some cases, cause, well, either really shitty gains or only stagnation. As your body gets used to training, its work capacity improves. And that means that if the work capacity is in order and is higher, and if your recovery ability still hasn't been maximized, doing more volume, that's right, more sets, which the hit folks didn't like at all, is actually a great way to continue to challenge the muscles. 
If you start by doing one set of bent rows to get a big back when you're 15 years old and weigh 110 pounds, it is a very curious thing indeed to expect you to maximize your back hypertrophy by ever only doing one set of bent rows with even if it's hundreds of more pounds. Your body is much more adaptable and can and will grow if, when your recovery is totally permissible to it, you add a set here and there. So maybe you do one or two sets when you're 15. By the time you're 20, maybe five or six sets is what you need. By the time you're 28, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten sets is really what's going to hit the sweet spot. And of course, you don't just want to layer in pointless volume thinking the more I do, the more I'll grow. You have a recovery limit and the hit folks are really good about talking about that. But you don't want to get caught into this trap of never increase volume. We could make a contrary argument to say never increase intensity and be just about as right, which is to say wrong about that as well. You can train hard or you can train long. You just can't do both. And don't I know that? I don't mean training. Never been hard. What? Sustained attempts at high-intensity training does little in the way of stimulating further growth. Instead, what results is a reduction of the body's recuperative abilities. Yeah. So this is just what I would like to call categorically false. They have tested single-set versus multi-set protocols. And in almost every single case, multi-set protocols elicit more muscle growth, even in beginners. There were a few studies done early, uh, much later than this video was made, that showed that in the first three weeks or so, you had roughly similar results from single-set and multi-set programs. But after three or four or five or six weeks, the curves for progress from the single set and multi-set split up and the multi-set programs took off while the single set programs didn't cause as much hypertrophy. So no, it's just not true to say that adding volume doesn't work. It really does. There are limits to it, but it really does work. The important point to remember here is that you will grow progressively larger and stronger muscles only when you train with increasing levels of intensity. This is universal and applies to all human beings. True, but how much? How much volume? Don't, however, worry about your individual potential. Potential is only the expression of a possibility, something that can be assessed accurately only in retrospect. Again, come back to the thing that men are a lot of why I should say this is so good. People are so concerned about their genetic potential. We think, man, do I got what it takes? Takes for what, motherfucker? The only way you're really going to find out is if you really dial in your nutrition really dial in your training, do a good, not great, good job on everything, and just see if you get pretty jacked. And if the gains are keeping coming, then you're saying, hey, I got good potential. Just do your best. Time will sort out how good the results are. And look, they're going to be better than zero. So you're going to have something to show for it, whether you look like pathetic and shriveled up like me or amazing and jacked like Mike Menser. Uh, time will tell and eventually you'll be like, oh, is this the thing I want to continue doing? Or do I look enough like Dr. Mike that I should just quit weightlifting like he should have quit it years ago? Yeah, I'll see myself out. In other words, you'll never know how good you might have become unless you try. So let's get with it. Very, very, very good advice. All right, folks, that was really fun. We only watched kind of half the video. There's another half where he actually goes through a program and talks about it. If you guys want us to review that part, let us know in the comments and maybe we'll get to it. If you guys want us to review other lifters, other bodybuilders from history, other philosophies, throw it in the comments. Let us know. And if you don't have any ideas of your own, but you notice someone put something interesting, give them up for an upvote so that we get to reviewing and 
commentating from a place of, well, good faith and hopefully some knowledge on a bunch of stuff that you guys want to know about. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're about at RP is increasing level of knowledge so that you get more results so you finally, in my case, get laid. And in your case, probably for the hundredth time. Anyway, go out there and get laid. Um, I give Mike Menser a respect out of 10 for uh, just being really cool and trying to organize lifting into a logical structure. Did he get it all right? No. Did he get it all wrong? Not even close. Tons of good gems. Maybe we'll do another video about him and review some of those. See you guys next time. All right, folks, that was really fun. Hopefully you had some lulls. If you want the lulls to continue, YouTube says you should watch this video and uh, generally YouTube is correct about a lot of things.